0: Hey Snappers, we've got a special for you this week There's this super cool podcast About work that you don't think about And the people who do it It's called The Specialist It's out of San Francisco Superstation, KALW It's hosted by Casey Miner Well, The Specialist Just trained their sights on Snap And not broadly either This episode focuses on the unsung hero of Snap Judgment It gives you a real peek backstage here at the show. We hope you dig it.
1: If you were going to sum up what Mark, his role in two words, like Mark's the...
2: Radio uncle.
1: Octopus man. It's a goofy
3: place. He's 90% of the goof.
2: I mean, he helped me get my first motorcycle and the second motorcycle after the first one crashed. He buys me food a lot. He kind of does more than what a regular boss should, you know?
1: The voices you just heard are producers Davey Kim, Adiza Egan, and Liz Mack. They work for the podcast and radio show Snap Judgment. And if you listen, you've heard their voices before. But I'd bet Glenn's voice is the one you know the best.
0: My name's Glenn Washington. Please note, I have a face made for radio. Because you're listening. Snap Judgment.
1: (laughs) But Snap Judgment wouldn't be Snap Judgment without executive producer Mark Ristich. He and Glenn started the show together in 2007, and back then, it was just them. What is your job? What's your, what do you do? (sighs)
2: Uh, I would just say producer. Honestly, just producer. Because producers produce, and um, you do whatever it takes to make it happen.
1: It is the show. An hour-long, highly crafted, chock-full of music and sound design narrative storytelling show that now has 14 staffers and 2 million downloads a month. So when Mark says he's producing, what he means is that he's helping everyone on the team do whatever they need to do to get the show out.
2: I'm just like, tell me what you need and I'll just stay here until it's done.
1: I'm Casey Miner and this is The Specialist. So maybe right now you're thinking, hold up, are you guys seriously doing a podcast about another podcast? Yes, we are. And here's why. For one thing, every time we go out and interview people for our show, all kinds of specialists, they're curious about what we do. They hear some back episodes, take a look at the recording gear and say, wow, your job is so interesting. You write us too. You want to know what's involved in making the show, how we make decisions, how much recording we do and how what you hear is edited. So today, for our final episode of the season, we're pulling back the curtain on a big show to show you exactly how that happens.
0: I do an opening story for Snap Judgment every single week.
1: This is Glynn again, and these opening stories are from his life, which is a little more exciting than a lot of people's lives. His stories might be about his adventures in the foreign service in Malaysia, true. Or growing up in an apocalyptic cult, also true. But even though they happened to him, Glynn still needs work to make these into stories. He needs Mark.
0: And when I finish that narration, if Mark's kind of looking at me with a a frown on his face, then I probably have a problem, you know? So then we get to fighting over how we're going to fix it. And we battle, we battle like brothers at this point.
1: Glenn and Mark met in Detroit when they were both in college. I asked Mark to describe their relationship, and he said, quote, we hated each other. He was a troll. I was a troll. We just riled each other up right away. And
0: they still do. But there's not a sense where I could, you know, I'd say, oh, it's my show or something like that. No. People would be surprised that probably two-thirds of the stories that I write don't make this show. And the reason why they don't make this show is because Mark's like, nah.
2: OK, and it, let's move on.
1: Mark wears a lot of hats at Snap, but the most important one, the one Glenn's talking about here, is editor. As an editor, he shapes how millions of people hear a story about things like a man on the run in the woods for more than two decades, or a search and rescue worker battling her own history of abuse, or the moral choices made by a spy. He and the producers make hundreds of tiny decisions that shape how we hear those stories. And how we hear those stories shapes how we see the world. But if he does it right, you'll never hear those tiny decisions. All you'll hear is a smooth, continuous narrative. That's Mark's job. So let's spend some time with just one edit that he's working on, with reporter Eliza Smith. If you're a regular listener, you know that Eliza helps out with social media for our show. She's also a full-time producer at Snap.
3: Today we're going to be um, working on a story that's close to, as close to imperfect as we can get. Um, And we're going to be working
1: on reviving it from the dead. Here's what you need to know going in. Eliza's story is about a woman named Olivia, who was a spy for South Africa's apartheid government back in the 80s. She spied by pretending to be a college student and embedding with left-wing student groups. But the more she got to know the activists, the more she started to think that apartheid wasn't so great. And after one particularly traumatic experience, she defected and became a double agent. Things actually get more complicated, but let's leave it there for now. So Eliza's interviewed Olivia the spy twice so far, and she's put together a rough draft of her story that she and Mark are going to listen to. And here's one other thing you need to know. Mark is not sold on this story even though Eliza's already been working on it for months.
3: I don't like your skepticism. <laughs> well, no, 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 I like
2: the first part. It got a little boring, and then I like the last part.
3: Yeah, totally.
1: If the Mark doesn't, doesn't think it steps, works, like it may never reach different. a single person's ears. I think point here Obviously, this is not Eliza's preferred outcome. Her story's already cleared a few hurdles. Like a lot of shows, Snap is very, very collaborative, and part of their process is that the whole team weighs in on story pitches before a producer moves ahead. In the time that's passed since she got that go-ahead, Eliza's become even more convinced that people need to hear what Olivia has to say.
3: This story actually needs to be told right now. This is really important. This is a story about people who are on the wrong side and through education they realize that they were on the wrong side and they work really hard to make up for it and they become better more enlightened citizens as a result mark may feel a little bit differently right now but my job today is to kind of convince him that the story has legs and it's worth keeping and and ultimately airing on our show you want to put like a butt ton of speculation
2: in no, the middle of this story? No, no.
1: They're sitting the, together uh, in Eliza's know, office, off Snap's main room.
3: I understand what you're looking for, but that not there. was n- not—that's not there. It what? didn't happen. I got it, it's not I got it, I got it.
2: I got it. I
1: got it. She's got oh, the script yeah. open on her computer. Oh. Mark's sitting by her with his laptop. Okay. Eliza starts by reading out loud from the transcript of her interview with Olivia the spy.
3: These are her words. The police had said, "There will come a time that you will identify with the enemy." It's a perfectly normal part of infiltration. And they sort of warned me of all this. I'm here. I'm where I would really like to be in left-wing student organizations, but I'm here under false pretenses. And I thought to myself, "Oh my god, I'm on the wrong side."
2: That's pretty good. Hell yeah. High five. <laughs> and then I good. come in It's overnight. a little bit explainy though.
1: The big problem for Eliza's piece isn't the story itself. I mean, who doesn't love a good spy tale? It's that Olivia the spy isn't always that good at telling her own story.
2: She speaks in big generalities and she's very removed when she's talking. So it's our job to fix it. We gotta see if we can fix the story. And then it still faces some hurdles after this point, but we this is what we do, right? You just try.
1: That but is really important. Part of Mark's job is to kill stories that don't work. But he doesn't want to kill the stories. He wants to try like hell to get them into shape. You
2: know, I do get caught in a loop, in like an editing loop. I just want to sit there and edit, edit, edit. Um, You know, and, you know, friends and family are like, hey, do you want to do something? I'm like, no, (laughs) I don't. I just want to do Snap Judgment.
1: He was at pains to tell me that it's not like he never does anything else. He hangs out with his dog, Aggie, an Italian greyhound who's always in the office. He watches sports. They're live and you can't edit them, so it's actually relaxing. And he's really into the TV show The Americans, which incidentally is about spies. The theme song is his ringtone and I got to hear it a lot because despite being a radio professional, Mark never remembered to turn off his cell phone during our interviews.
2: Uh, you know, They're all just like sobbing and heartfelt. Um, oh, The cardinal sin.
1: (laughs) This happens every single time
2: (laughs) i I know, I know. I'm not used to people talking to me.
1: As in, he's not used to being the story, and he doesn't totally love it. I think he asked me five times if I was absolutely sure I really wanted to do a story about him. And while he and Eliza are editing, he keeps asking me if I'm sure I actually want to stay.
2: You're going to stick around and just hang out and be bored?
1: I really like editing, so it's not boring for me.
2: All right, well, I'm just saying, it's going to take a while, and, like, we're going to go slow, and it's, you know, it just, like, happens slowly over time. I wish I could make it happen in a big, fast montage, but we can't.
1: He can't, but I can. Fun fact, I spent more than nine hours at Snap watching Mark and his team work. You're going to hear about 2% of what I recorded. See? Big, fast montage.
2: There is no person here, though, that she connects with.
3: When? In the government?
2: No, in the student democratic...
1: Thing. There, there
3: is no, th- no, that's not true.
1: Over the In next the hour, Mark and Eliza work through the script and they keep coming back to this basic problem of details.
2: Does she know her beforehand? Yeah. Does, do she we did. have any of her and that woman? No. Nothing? No.
1: Olivia, the spy doesn't tell us much about any individual people she met. We don't meet her friends or learn about her relationships, so it all just feels kind of flat. We don't feel the emotional stakes because there just aren't many specifics.
4: I nope. found it really-
2: no wonder her bosses got frustrated with her
4: <laughs>
2: as a spy. They were like, you're a shitty spy. <laughs> Give us information, not generalities. Okay, so then But we yeah, come. we should probably go back and talk to her one more time.
1: They decide Eliza needs to do a third interview to try and get some of those details. Who was Olivia friends with? What did they do together? That kind of thing. But again, recording another interview isn't a guarantee that the story will go on the air. Mark will listen and then he'll reassess.
2: You have to. I mean, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. You can't just be like, oh, I... you can't please other people or go, you know, this story has, a, has good intentions. And, you know, uh, the people should know that when they listen to it. People don't care. They're just like, oh, that's boring. They turn it off. And now you just wasted all your time and wasted all their time and wasted my scoring team's time. So you can't. You have to be, you know, kind of uh, brutal about it.
1: I so sympathize with Eliza here. The spy's life is long and complicated. And in her interviews, Eliza needed to cover a ton of ground just to get the plot down, never mind the details. Mark's not a public radio guy. He barely even has time to listen to other podcasts. But he's got a sense of story, and he knows what Eliza's story needs.
2: So she's doing their interview at 3 in the morning. And I'm like, well, that's what you have to do. She can, you know, sleep when she's done.
1: That would be because Eliza and Mark are in Oakland, California, and Olivia the Spy now lives in Italy, where she runs an Airbnb. Times change. What's What's your level of confidence in that story? Like, are you... Are you still on the fence about whether it's going to go on the show?
2: Uh-huh. I'm still on the fence. Um, I think that we can get it to make it work. I, I, you know, um, we're going to try.
1: But you might still kill it. Yeah. So a week or so later, we're back for another round.
4: The police said, you know, my hand just said... You, you, you. There will come a time when you will identify with the enemy. It's a perfectly normal part of infiltration. And they sort of warned me of all of this.
1: This is Olivia. Remember, Eliza read a transcript of this quote before.
4: I'm, I'm here. I'm, I'm where I would really like to be in left-wing student organizations. But, I've, but I'm here under false pretenses. I thought, oh my God, I'm, I'm on the wrong side.
1: Mark liked it, but what came afterwards was too vague. Now Eliza's got more details. She's got Olivia talking about friends, another white activist named Priscilla, and a black activist named Chris. They're the ones she's befriended and betrayed by reporting their activities to the government. And now that we know that, we're more invested when we get to the part about the night her friends call her for help.
4: And so I didn't realize how badly she was injured. And they said, can you take her to the hospital?
1: Chris's house has been firebombed, and his girlfriend is seriously hurt. So Olivia, the spy, takes her to the hospital and runs in, where she's stopped by the guy at the reception desk.
4: And he he, he looked up at me, and he he said in in a very strong Afrikaans accent, he said, lady, is she black or white? And, you know, at that moment, I was so angry. She's black, what difference does it make? And he said, well, lady, if she's black, you have to go around to the back entrance of the hospital. She died. Her, her, burn, her burns were too significant. She couldn't survive. And, you know, she was 16 years old. And she, she had done nothing. And the only thing that she had ever done wrong was being black.
3: Are you crying? No. Are you tearing up?
2: No, but I definitely feel the emotion in her, her voice there when she does it.
1: With this new context, the tape gets Mark to feel something. And that bodes really well, but they're not out of the woods yet. As the story goes on and gets more complicated, Mark starts to distrust Olivia as a narrator. So remember, she starts out as a spy for the apartheid government. But then after the hospital incident, she defects and starts spying for the anti-apartheid movement. Unfortunately, they don't trust her, and before long they throw her into one of their infamous prison camps. There's this one part of the interview where Olivia describes how it's so hot that she has to lie down on the floor and stick her face under the door to breathe. But then right after that, she says something about how she was totally ready to go right back out and work for her jailers. And Mark does not buy it. It's insane.
4: What?
2: Well, she's insane. They arrested her. They have her, they have her in a little prison. And then she's like, but if you want to send me back into the field, I'm good to go. I understand you guys made a little administrative error.
3: I actually don't think that that's insane. I'll tell you why. great. If you've been working for, like, Darth Vader, and you get a chance to work with a rebel alliance, and at first they don't really trust you, like Lando Calrissian, like you do some shady shit, and you get exiled for a little while, I would totally go back and work with the rebellion any time. Because they're on the right side of
2: history. I know, but it, you know, they, get, they don't trust you, though. Like, you're not a reliable source anymore. I would
3: anymore. be like, I'm going to do whatever it takes. Will you, you just go back like, and work on the Death Star?
2: She, well, she still feels... Well, I mean, she should say something like, I, you know, even though they still had me here, I felt like I could be of value, or, you know, I forgave them for all these things, it's like, I kept trying to convince them, you know, like, it's, uh...
3: You mean while she was in prison? While she's in prison, I don't have that tape, and I'm not going to do a fourth interview for it.
1: These things already happened, decades ago. The facts aren't going to change. But real life is messy, and people make baffling choices and contradict themselves all the time. For this story to work, we've gotta have enough sympathy for Olivia that we stay with her, even if we're skeptical of her motives. This is really hard, but it helps if you can get your storyteller to reflect.
4: In my search for an exciting life, I'd landed on the wrong side of the apartheid struggle. I think, I think I did what was right. I, 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 I defected. You know, whether it, you know, it, I did it in the right way or at the right time, I mean, you know, you could speculate endlessly. I'm just, I'm just glad that I did it.
2: That was good. If you listen to the last line,
4: whether it, you know, it, I did it in the right way or at the right time, I mean, you know, you could speculate endlessly. I'm just, I'm just glad that I did it.
2: I think that that's the story. It's like, okay, I didn't do it the right way. I tried to be on the right side of history. I tried to correct things. It didn't work out, but I would... rather
3: I'm ra- glad I did it. I'm glad I took a stand instead of being complicit with the bad guys. Right.
2: And so, and I'm, you know, there's a whole bunch of people now that are going to be, like, in her same shoes.
1: Final verdict. The story lives. The Specialist is a show about work you don't think about and the people who do it. Our indispensable editor is Julie Kane, and we're proud to work with Seth Samuel, who does our original music and sound design, and Eliza Smith, who runs our social media and was the first person to suggest we profile Mark. You can hear her story about the South African spy on Snap Judgment in January. Probably. Ariel Dukovic helps us think strategically, and Alex Goldmark helps us see the big picture. Our radio home is KALW 91.7 FM in San Francisco. And a huge thanks to Glenn Washington, Liz Mack, Adiza Egan, Nancy Lopez, Joe Rosenberg, Davey Kim, and the whole staff of Snap Judgment for letting me hang around their office, stick my microphone in their faces without warning, and eat their snacks.
0: Aye, that's enough of Mark, quite enough. Right after the break... I need to tell Casey Miner a story of my own. Stay tuned. Welcome back, Snappers. Casey Miner, from The Specialist, she talks to people about their sometimes odd professions, and she asked me about a job I had when things didn't go exactly as planned.
1: I'm Casey Miner, and this is a Specialette.
0: Hi, my name is Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment.
1: And what do you do in Snap Judgment?
0: I am a host and story guy, editor, person.
1: Sometimes it's hard to say what you do, especially when you do a lot. And Glenn Washington has done a lot. After he got his law degree at the University of Michigan, he applied for a bunch of legal jobs, and eventually he got one, but it wasn't really a fit.
0: I was uh, an employee at Ernst & Young, and the big professional services firm, they employ 25, 30,000 people around the globe, and I was the single worst employee that they had ever hired. I was hired, <laughs> I was hired to do tax analysis of which I literally know nothing I can't figure out my own 1040 EZ form but they hired me to do tax analysis one day there was a subsidiary of GM you know a big company with employees and far-flung operations and everything like this going on and they came with uh, a stack of of papers that went, I don't know, maybe a foot high. And they said, Glenn, what we need you to do is do an analysis of their tax situation and make some recommendations. We're gonna bring this to the general counsel and we're gonna go from there. And it's gonna be your ideas that, um, that we bring. So we really need this to be tight, right? And so every day I would go into work the stack on my desk, and I would look at them. I'd go to lunch, and then I'd come back, and I'd look at them for the rest of the day. At six o'clock, I'd go home, and the next day, I'd come back and I'd look at those. Ones. I never, ever touched them. I never ever touched them, and I didn't have anything to do with them. I didn't know what. I thought, this is it. This is it. And this went on every day for two weeks. I'd go to work, look at those forms, come back home, and go to bed. I'm gonna bit fired from this job. I'm gonna get fired, there's no question about that. If I was to give you a a pile of papers in Phoenician, and say, you know, I need some analysis of this and I need it in a couple weeks, it's not gonna happen.
1: So you just sat there for eight hours and just thought about that?
0: I thought about um, that, I thought about mistakes I'd made in the past, I thought about, you know, time to refresh that resume for sure. Um, I did want to go to California. I thought about gas mileage getting there. Um, where can I stay? I, w- I was thinking of everything I could think of except this big old stack of papers in front of me. I'm petrified. I don't know what is going to happen. And my antenna's up, and I hear the boss man. He's coming down. I know he's going to be on me. I know this is it, right? And he comes over. He's like, Glenn, uh huh. He's like, Glenn, I got some, uh, some bad news. Uh-huh. I know how hard you've been working on this thing, but uh, we're going to go a different direction. And I, I'm really sorry about this. I was like, oh, well, you know what? I want to be a team player. I want to I do my part, sir. You know, everyone's got a part to play. And I, I, if you got anything else for me, let me know. <laughs> He's like, thanks. That's, what, that's good. Good job, champ. All right. We'll get you something next time.
1: This lucky accident bought him a few more months at the firm, which, honestly, he was only sort of happy about.
0: Two days before I got fired from Ernst & Young, I was driving there, it was in Detroit, and it was this slate-gray sky, and I was driving toward this office building that I knew I was going to be miserable in. And I was just like, oh my god, this sucks so bad.
1: But he wasn't going to quit. He needed the cash. And it didn't hurt that his coworkers really liked him.
0: Even though know, I couldn't do any tax work, I could still talk a big game, even back then.
1: He'd even kind of befriended one of the firm's top managers. But really, he was doomed.
0: The same guy, he comes over and he said, um, Again, I can hear, I know my, that antenna's up. I know he's coming towards me. I'm hoping he's going for somebody else, another cubicle. Stops in my cubicle. And he says, um... Glenn, could you come with me for a minute? We need to go and talk to uh, the HR people. (laughs) And that means it's over. It's curtains. It's like, (sighs) so there's no, there's no negotiation. There's no nothing. He's like, um, you know, we've, we've appreciated your contributions to the firm, but, um, I think it's best that we both acknowledge that it's probably time for this, our relationship to come to an end. So, um. I'm going to need your uh, passkey and your computer. And um, if you could sign right here on the document, we'll make sure that your last paycheck and such is mailed to you. And we really want to say that we, we're, we everyone, I, I think I speak for everyone when I say we really appreciated your sense of humor and um, your warmth that you brought to the office. Thank you so very, very much. Fire. <laughs> Ah! Fired. Yep. I did get um. I had this beautiful leather briefcase. I was able to keep because they because they did they were supposed to take that, but I had I told them I'd bring it back to them. I didn't think that you could, you were supposed to like your job. I don't think that my parents ever really liked theirs. It was kind of this thing that you went, you had to do. And so for a long time, I, it seems like the jobs I picked were something that were completely diametrically opposite to anything I would supposedly have any interest in, and I think that, maybe subconsciously, I thought that's the way it was supposed to be. Um, and then I thought, maybe, uh, maybe it's not. Maybe you should like your work, like your workmates, like the community. I either wanted to do that, I wanted to be really, really energized at work, or I wanted to be completely turned off where I didn't have to think. I could channel that, that energy somewhere else. I think that either or is a really good position to be in. But I do think that lots of people are in jobs that they that don't fit. And I remember then at the time, when I was at Ernst & Young especially, um, how important my off time was. I joined an acting troupe. I was um, doing all this volunteer work, all this other kind of stuff to make sure that that okay, I can be dead for eight hours, or I can be you know I don't I don't necessarily think that that's a bad thing. Actually, I I really once I got into it, I like dull jobs because um, there's another aspect of your head that's going in a different direction. Um, I wrote a lot then. I mean, I'd be plotting stuff out. You know, when you're when you're counting a bunch of, of papers in a row, I, you know, my novels going on in the back of my mind the whole time. So, and I actually <laughs> wish sometimes that um, I had more time like that now. Mm-hmm. is if you dig the specialist, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get this podcast, get that one. It was composed and sound designed by Seth Samuel. The editor was Julie Kane, and the host was Casey Miner. Congratulations, Casey, on the new edition. And if you didn't know, Snap Judgment Live is on tour, and the show, this show featuring... Snap Performer of the Year, Don Reed. Snap Comic Performance of the Year by Jim Kober, The Closer, James Judd. Jamie DeWolf. More. Snap its Rocking, Bam in Brooklyn. Going to D.C., Atlanta, Dallas, Houston, Austin. Get tickets while you still can. It's snapjudgment.org. Can't wait to see you. Peace and soul from Snap.